welcome to the NOLA Drink Show. Join us as we explore the world of drink, food, and culture in New Orleans and beyond. Here's your host, Brian Diaz. All right, everybody. Hey, Brian Diaz here with you. Thanks for joining me, friends, on the NOLA Drink Show. Happy to have you here as always. That's right. We're back with a brand new program for you. Really excited to bring this show to you. We've uh, done a couple shows, touched on this subject here and there over the years, but it's been a while, and I don't think we've had the length or the depth and the expertise involved as we do this time around. We're going to be talking about sake, and we're also going to be talking about sake as it goes with Japanese cuisine. And to that end, we are going to uh, welcome Sean Williams to the show. Sean is a friend of the show, been on a few times. Uh, She is a part of the Turning Tables program and has participated in some of those shows before. And Sean is the sake expert, as far as I'm concerned, in the New Orleans area. And so Sean joins us. And we're at the fine uptown sushi restaurant and izakaya called Sukeban. And the chef owner, Jacqueline Blanchard, also joins us. One of the cool things about both Sean and Jackie, and I mentioned this in the show notes and we talk about this on the show, is neither one of them is Japanese, but their reverence for the culture and respect for the culture and and what sake means and Jackie's approach to preparing sushi has a great deal of experience with Japanese cuisine and Japanese culture. They both do. And that's really apparent. So I think it's really neat. They honor the culture, even though they're not directly a part of it and have a great deal of respect for it. And I think that's always such an important thing when you're in their position and they recognize that very clearly. And I couldn't have two better ambassadors for sake and Japanese cooking on than those two. So we're going to talk a lot about sake. We're going to talk about what it is, what it isn't, um, how it pairs so well with sushi, the deep cultural connections between sake and sushi. We're going to do a deep dive on rice. We talk about water. We talk about all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to give it away, but it's a really, really fascinating show. And as I said, we've never really done that level of depth uh, talking about sake. And one of the things that I'll tell you at the end of this show, I mean, we barely scratched the surface, to be honest with you. So I'm sure we're going to be revisiting with those two again in the near future to take an even deeper dive. Uh, this time around, we, of course, we sip on some expressions like we usually do and just have have some good laughs. So that's this week's show. Really excited to bring it to you. I'll talk more about this after uh, the prime interview, the featured interview with those two is over. Our next show is going to be out next week, a little quicker turnaround than what we've been up to lately, but it's because it's a timely show. We're going to be talking about old fashioned week. Now we did an old fashioned week show last year. One of the guests from last year, Lynn house and Lynn is the spirits specialist and portfolio mixologist for Heaven Hill, and uh, part of the Heaven Hill family is Elijah Craig. Elijah Craig sponsors Old Fashioned Week, and uh, Lynn will be joining us again. And then this time around, our good buddy Caroline Neighbors is joining the show. Caroline used to be on all the time back when she was running Tales of the Cocktail, and uh, she is now the Director of Development and Marketing for the Southern Smoke Foundation. The Southern Smoke Foundation is the beneficiary of the proceeds from Old Fashioned Week, and they do fantastic work supporting the hospitality industry. Uh, Primarily, their two main programs are mental health as well as emergency relief activities and funds and grants and things like that. So that's uh, what we're going to talk about next week. That'll be out real quick because Old Fashioned Week is October 13th through the 22nd. And I'll let you know a little bit more about it here uh, after we do the featured interview. But what we're going to do right now is we are going to bounce over to Sukeban and talk sake and sushi with Jackie and Sean. Come on back. 
All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Brian Diaz here with you. Thanks for joining me on the NOLA Drink Show, friends. Happy to have you here. Happy to be where we are today. We are here at Sukeban, the very fine sushi restaurant on Oak Street in Uptown, New Orleans, and uh, pleased to be joined by my two guests. Uh, I'll start immediately to my left here, Jackie Blanchard, who is the chef owner at Sukeban. How are you, Jackie? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for hosting, and uh, thank you for having us in your lovely place. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, my friend, Sean Williams. Sean, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Sean, you, for l- regular listeners of the show, they will know you because the last show that we just put out was our annual Turning Tables show. Yep. And so people have heard your voice as recently as a week ago, week yeah. and a half ago. <laughs> Although that was months ago that we actually yeah. taped that show. But uh, we're talking uh, sake and sushi here, listeners, as you know, out there. And uh, what better place to be here than at Sukeban uh, talking with you two? I guess let's start here. Um, I'll start with you, Sean. Let's, let's talk a little bit about what sake is, because I think um, people sometimes say it's like rice wine. Not exactly accurate. Yeah. Sometimes people say it's like rice beer. Also not exactly accurate. Maybe puts us in the ballpark, but yeah. t- tell us just in a broad stroke sense, what, what is sake and what is not sake maybe? So sake is an alcoholic beverage of Japanese origin um, that is brewed from rice. Uh, why it is not rice beer and not rice wine is because they are made with different processes. Um, so um, I think it's just a misconception in the West because it's not like anything that we have. So people are always trying to compare something to something that they're familiar with. So that's where that comes from, but it's absolutely uh, neither of those things. So um, tell us, give us kind of the the short version of how it's produced then in in the the most common way. So um, I would say, so with the fermentation process, all of of these beverages are fermented, of course, but with wine, um, it's made from grapes and you can get the sugar content that you need for fermentation just from the grape, it's already there. there. There's no process that really has to happen before you introduce the yeast um, to, to the sugar source, which is the grapes. With beer, you have to malt barley in order to um, create that, the, break down the sugars within the grain um, so that you can make beer. But with sake, it's actually a process called multi-parallel fermentation, where both of those things, everything happens at the same time in one tank. So there's not like a process of needing to break this down over here and then introduce something over here. It all happens in the same tank. So um, that's, the, that's the big difference. And it's, they're not made from the same materials for the most part. So Okay. And we'll, we'll do a little deeper dive into it as we move forward. But let me ask you this, Jackie. So we were talking before we went on the air here. I like what you said. You said they're sort of the, the three pillars of what you do here at Suke Bon and kind of the, the broader sushi culture of... Tell, tell us what those three pillars yeah, are. Yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, certainly kind of tracking back to, you know, representing a culture that you're sort of not born into and the importance of knowing how to navigate that uh, with respect and with earnest. And I think, you know, comparatively, if you're talking about what is, what is the, the, the broad comparison of Japan and South Louisiana, because most people wouldn't see that. And I was saying that the three pillars to me of that is, is rice, uh, it's the drinking culture, it's the seafood. So mm-hmm. um, I think that, you know, those kind of three things are, are kind of what 
you know, ends up being the tie that binds us in a lot of ways. Um, so I think I've always sort of felt that connection in that way because, you know, somewhere as foreign as Japan, it's hard for a lot of people to see that sort of connection. Like, what do you get out of that place that you would get here? You know, you're so foreign. Right. You know, you're on you're on a body of water. You have this fresh seafood. You have uh, a, a beautiful history of uh, rice cultivation um, and, and and consumption of that rice. You know, being as, being of you know, 10th generation Cajun descent, all we ate was rice. So, uh, you know, rice with butter, rice with salt, rice with anything, rice, just rice with eggs, you know? So, um, you know, it's just as a staple in our diet, um, you know, where I grew up in the bayou as it is in all of Japan. So, um, I think that's where Sean and I kind of like found our, you know, our, our love for each other was, you know, just through rice to begin with, but (laughs) developed along the way certainly um you know and there's this like really beautiful appreciation for rice as a whole because it's it's there's thousands of varieties and 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 so many ways to cook it and everything is so different uh and its intricacies between that so you know we've got this uh, idea of the you know the cajun standard is like the the two to one or or the rice coming up the 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 water coming up to your finger um the notch in your fingers to how to tell what the ratio to water is everything's so different i mean i've learned a lot cooking rice in japan um i think that that's such a huge cornerstone of what we do here i think that's right keep keep going Um, I think that what we do here is so focused on the rice uh, as a as a building block of the roll itself. You know, we do focus on tamaki rolls here. That is something that is um, what we do. It is our our predominant avenue. Hey, Charles, can you guys just unplug that thing? That's all right. All right, pick it back up. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think that rice is certainly like a, a building block of everything that we do here on top of the nori. Um, the, the rice and the seaweed um, is, is such a huge component of what we do beyond the, just the fish. Um, so I think, you know, there is such a huge respect that I have um, for, for rice in general, I would say. You know, we kind of nerd out on it, but um, it is such a huge part in the building block of what we do here. And that, that coincides with, you know, the Japanese culture and the South Louisiana culture. Yeah, that's, thank you for saying that, because I think, uh, as you said, Jackie, at, at the beginning, that a lot of people might have a hard time making a connection. And when we talk about the longstanding rice culture and... Uh, rice agriculture here in Louisiana that's a common thing and like you said uh, fresh seafood and even fresh produce and these things that we have uh, in abundance in this part of the world you know since we kind of brought this up and I'm going to ask you this question Sean uh, I'm always fascinated I grew up in the Bay Area as as listeners know so I grew up around you know a lot of my friends are Japanese American Mm -hmm. first generation that kind of thing and spent a lot of time in Japanese restaurants and around Japanese culture Japanese American culture and so things like sake and things like shochu and things like sushi and so on were, were familiar to me just because it was just all around me. And so that was kind of the vector for how I discovered sake and, and these sorts of things. But I think it's interesting because like we're noting here, uh, we don't really have a big Japanese population and, tradition, and a traditional one here in New Orleans. I mean, no. certainly a, a smattering. Uh, but the vector is different and for like being turned on to sake being turned on to sushi and like uh, a lot of my experience with sake here and certainly shochu here uh, bartenders are are the vector and so I mean someone like you Sean is somebody who's bringing this to the table and maybe tell us you know how you got into this and why you're why you're (laughs) an ambassador for it yeah that is that is a question that 
I am still trying to answer fully for myself. I know that <laughs> my, my love of Japan came from um, being in high school, waiting for computer lab. There was this, there is, it's still to this day, there's a website called Style Arena. And I just found out like, I mean, this is like damn near 20 years ago, but um, I would go on this website and it was the only thing I would do during computer lab and it was just all of these Japanese people and just their clothes, just like someone taking pictures of them on the street. And um, someone asked me this question recently and I was able to draw it back to that and I was like, I completely forgot about that and I went back to see if it still existed and it did and I found out it's run by the Japanese government. Like they are, they have photographers that go out and just take pictures of street style. So that was, the original love was like, what are these people wearing? This is amazing. Just like obsessed with like, where do these clothes come from? Like what, how are they styling this? Like, and that was crazy. So I think like my love and attention of Japan, to, attention to Japan started there. Um, and it kind of grew from there. Um, I can remember the first time I had sushi, I didn't know what I was eating at all. And so, so I had no, I had no qualms about it. I just like went straight for it. And I didn't realize afterwards that I was just eating a California roll. Um, and like, so a, a long time later, a friend offered me sushi and it was a rainbow roll and I ate it. And I was like, whoa, this is really different from what I had before. And I, I didn't understand the connection. He was like, yeah, this is good. It's from this place. He's just thinking that I thought the sushi itself was good, but it's like I'd only ever had a California roll. Right. And he brought me a rainbow roll. He was just like eating it with chopsticks. He like walked into my job just to say hi to me, a friend. He's like, you want a piece? And I was like, sure, I eat sushi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I took a piece and I was like, oh my. So I was like, I have all of these like very, like I remember the first time I drank a sake and I was like, what is this? And it was a nigori and I'd never had that before. And I was in a Japanese restaurant and I said to the woman like, oh, what is this? Like, why is it like white? Like, why is this like milk? And she was like, she explained it to me and she was like, it's actually really good. Like, you should try it if you like sake. And I'm just like, yeah, I like sake, but I know nothing about it. And so I bought the bottle and I can remember being like, what is this? Like, I've never, this is not sake. This is not what I've had. And so then that opened the door to, oh, I didn't realize there are so many styles because I'd only ever had sake in a Japanese restaurant. And it's like, do you want hot or cold? And that was it. I didn't understand there were different styles and so much just gonna, variation. Sorry, Dana, and, I was just going to ask yeah. you that, Sean, because I, you know, I think a lot of people's experience with sake, if any at all, yeah. is yeah. actually drinking kind of the cheaper stuff yep. hot. Yeah. And go ahead. I, I think that that's a huge reason where a lot of people um, sort of either don't like it a lot of times like we, we've we've run into a lot of people who just are unfamiliar with great sake um and you know we're i've been very lucky to have traveled to a lot of these breweries in japan and have had these amazing experiences where you have this amazing quality product that you know maybe we don't have access to or haven't had access to before here and in my I had a very similar experience as sean i had sake i think warm for the first time at the Rock and Saki in Homa when I was in college <laughs> at Nickel State, and I had a California roll, and I was probably like 19 years old, and that was the first time I'd ever had anything like that. Um, and then I I started to taste sake cold, and I started to kind of get into it a little bit more, in realizing that a lot of American um, restaurants, I think you know American Japanese restaurants, um, often you know present to you this warm sake as if that's the way it should be right and it's certainly not um and i think a lot of times that um kind of crappy sake is heated up to mask 
yep. crappiness. Yep. And then with that comes like the really high alcohol content kind of like notion that you're getting when, when you when you drink it. And it's, you know, I I certainly know that there are, you know, restaurants and izakayas in Japan that, you know, will do warm sake. I think it's time and place. Um, I think it's seasonal, certainly. Yeah, if it's cold outside, it's, it's nice. Sure, you know? yeah. And um, for me, it's a preference thing. I don't enjoy warm sake. It's not to say that um, I shouldn't enjoy it. Um, it's out there in the world. Um, in my preference points, my personal ones, um, I certainly like to drink cold sake even in the dead of winter. Um, mm. and, it, and, and it's just, it's honestly because I've, I've, even my travels to Japan in the wintertime, I'm drinking cold sake. I've, I, I still have yet to have warm sake in Japan <laughs> in the wintertime. Uh, so for me, it's just a preference thing. But, um, you know, it is it certainly has its place. Um, I think that a lot of uh, I think a lot of attention needs to go into the temperature in which it's served and the way in which um, it's heated up and things like that um, in, in order to preserve its the nature of its quality, um, rather than just masking. Yeah, and like, taste the expression sake. properly. Correct. Exactly, Sean. And I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to derail Sorry. you because what you were saying, but maybe um, finish what you were talking about about how you, you know, are an ambassador for sake. I'll, I'll call you that. Uh, and then, and if you would be so kind, tell us a little bit about what we're actually tasting at the moment, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So there was the like Japanese style, and then my first time having a nigori, and I think that kind of opened it up. And then once I it just was, it was honestly just really natural. I'm a big lover of rice. I always have been um, since I was a child. It was just always a comfort thing for me. Like I was not a picky eater, but I did, I guess, eat a lot. So it's like, <laughs> like giving me a bowl of rice and letting me just do my own thing was my mom's way of like keeping me calm. That and like boxes upon boxes of cereal. <laughs> um, with all kinds of sugar and it all, kept of, all of all of it, all of it. So it's like we literally like I have a big family. We would have like twelve boxes of cereal on our <laughs> fridge at a time. Like kid you not, but I digress. Um, we yeah, it just it was like it naturally grew, and then like my respect of the Japanese culture um, has grown along with it, and it's just like like no shade to anybody anywhere in the world, including us in America. But they just I think maybe because their culture was so like closed off for so long they just have a lot of things together that we just sometimes are lacking in mm -hmm. other parts of the world and it's just it's really cool it's really cool and like the history of this stuff and learning all of that it just gets it just gets more and more fun it's their diligence to like any process mm -hmm. it's like yeah yeah it yeah. doesn't matter if it's sake it doesn't matter if it's flower arranging it doesn't matter if it's ceramics it's like their process to anything they do is so diligent and those people are called shokunin and shokunins are masters of, of their craft and in whatever craft that mm -hmm. is and i think that that's just like a mindset you know just like sean was saying maybe it's because they were so closed off for so long that they just were so insulated in their you know their processes and i think that um it's unmatched in the world yeah. I, and i think that's the same um same idea you know when uh, my knife shop it's it's why you know why japanese knives it's because the diligence to the, the the, man, the, the, the manufacturing, yeah. the craftsmanship behind that is just, um, you it's can't... It's really admirable. It's, it's admirable, and it's, <laughs> it's just like, you can't wrap your head around it sometimes, because yeah. it's no, like, we don't focus on things that way here in America. Yeah, it's a different, it's a very different way of looking at the world, and, and just in a, in a broad sense. Well, Sean, real quick before we take our first break, um, tell us what, what, about what we're tasting. Yeah, one. right now we're drinking um, She's a No Mama, and it is a Kimoto-style sake, which I really like talking about these because they're... Um, it's like the old method of brewing sake. It's very labor intensive. This is like a testament to what Jackie was just talking about that there's not really, I mean, for specific profiles and whatnot, there's a reason to do it, but there's not 
a real reason to continue to do this style. But there are people that believe in it and they believe that the process gives something special, so they do it. And it's it's like the process takes like double the time of how modern sake is made, but um, there are still people out there that are like, this is special and it, and it should still be around. And there are breweries that are dedicated to only making this style of sake. Um, and how so, is the, just briefly, how is the process different? So nowadays people just add lactic acid directly into okay. the yeah. fermentation um, to, to get that process going. But they literally, um, if you've ever seen like pictures of people with like the wooden poles and they're like mashing, that's what they're doing to create the lactic acid uh, okay. naturally, which is a very labor intensive process. That um, makes sense. And just takes a longer time. Gotcha. So it's a yeah. very ancient process. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's do this, you guys. Let's take a, take a little break here on the show. We're going to refill our glass with uh, another expression or two. And we're going to come back and talk more about sushi and sake with Sean and Jackie. Yay. Come on back. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Brian Diaz here with you. Thanks for joining me on the NOLA Drink Show. Happy to be here at Sukeban Uptown in New Orleans on Oak Street. We're going to tell you more about where you can find this fine place and come and dine if you're in the area. And a drink, too. Drink sake, because that's what we're talking about <laughs> as well. Here, we're here with Sean and Jackie. Uh, let's talk about this, y'all. We had some interesting conversations there just during the break. And you raised a really good point, Jackie, that um, we did make a connection between the abundance of rice that we have in Louisiana, obviously the importance of rice in the culture like the Japanese culture. And you go, okay, well, I've made that connection. That makes sense, but not so fast. It's, <laughs> it's not quite that simple because all rice is not created equal. There's a huge variety out there and we need specific considerations for what you do food-wise here. And we certainly need specific considerations for how sake is made. Yeah, I think that, you know, certainly the rice that we use here at Tsukiban um, is sort of a workhorse for what we do. You know, we specialize in tamaki hand rolls. Um, it's, you know, we're not using the... the Tell very, people what that is real quick. And, and tamaki hand rolls are just, in its basic form, it was one of the first street foods of Japan. Um, and it, it was born uh, around the same time nigiri uh, was was born out of the streets of Tokyo um, when, the, co when the, the capital was moved from Kyoto. To Tokyo, um, you know, you were a little closer towards the the port and had a little bit more accessibility to fresh fish. So that was like Japan's first kind of street food. Nigiri literally means like two fingers. So that's why when you get, you know, handed nigiri. Uh, traditionally, when I eat nigiri in Japan, I don't use chopsticks. Um, when you go to like an omakase style, like a really nice... Uh, version of that, uh, oftentimes the chef will just hand it to you right in the palm of your hand, mm, um, mm -hmm. or they'll hand it right in front of you and then you pick it up with your hands. And it's already dressed, so there's no wasabi, there's no soy sauce to dip. So it's two fingers and it's it's one, one bite. So um, tamaki is sort of uh, basically the rice and the fish wrapped in a cylindrical shape. Um, oftentimes we are used to seeing it like that conical shape, uh, that maki roll style. Um, but we do more of like a cylindrical sort of a rendition of that which is very traditional in japan it's not the cylindrical shape but um it's a little easier to eat i think that way it's the 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 rice and the fish is a little bit more distributed evenly throughout um and it's not a cut roll um certainly uh what we want you to experience is the crispy crunchy nature of the nori that we have and i think like going back to like the basic foundations 
of our focus is the rice and how great that quality is and this, the style of rice that we use that's the right rice for what we're doing is not necessarily the rice that's great for nigiri in a lot of places. Um, so I think our nori <clears throat> certainly is so special because it is sourced from a small farmer in the Ariake Sea in southern Japan off the island of Kyushu um, that is a very unique process where you know, the, the seaweed is grown along nets um, in a really shallow sort of tidal area. And as the tide goes out, the seaweed sort of dries along these nets. And as the, sea, as the tide comes back in, the seaweed grows, you know, a little bit more. And that process continues until it's harvested. Uh, and it's harvested to order for us. So when we order our nori, it's literally harvested like the next week for us. Okay. And then it's dried and baked and pressed and we get them in half sheets. And, and sort of for us, the most important aspect is the crispy nature of that. And I think that's what a lot of people first like the sensation they first get when they get it is like that crunch that they're not really re really used to that they're used to like you know the kind of chewy kind of soft yeah. soft um you know the, the the regular maki roll that like you know the california rolls of the world right. that sort of thing <laughs> um we are trying to feature this like everything we're the rice we're featuring the nori we're featuring the fish those those three things in that role are what are the focus and doing those things really well and certainly um you know going back to the rice aspect you know as 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 prolific as our rice production is in south louisiana i have not found yet the one that is right for what we're doing not to say it's not out there um i know a lot of uh rice um production uh has come through the lsu ag department in terms of like different varieties being experimented upon certainly with some sake production that's um taken place in south louisiana um you know, you want a high starch content, um, ultimately milled down uh, to the center for, you know, really great sake production. Um, for us, that's not what we want. We don't want a, a hyper sticky rice. We want something that's right. going to be, okay. you know, you want it to be, you know, certainly have a, a starch content. But for us, you know, we wash our rice for an hour before we before we steam it um, and then we season it. And so it should be this like pillowy sort of like every kernel is sort of adhered to each other but like not in a, a compacted not, not sort of clumpy. way yeah. yes okay. exactly um so i think that's such an important thing and the rice we found for that is through the coda family uh out of uh the san joaquin valley in california um they go back three generations uh, as a um, american uh japanese family that uh was one of the most important and still remains one of the most important families in rice agriculture in america um, they have this amazing history uh, going back to pre-World War II. Um, they were sent away uh, to, in to internment camps during the war into Colorado, and their, uh, their land was deemed so important. The government uh, mandated that the rice production continue on, hmm. but even still the family got sent away. Um, you know, these, these men came and took, took the realm and, and completely destroyed the industry. And uh, that... that they were producing certainly and then they started liquidated all of their equipment and oh, wow. sold everything off so when this family came back from colorado <clears throat> they had to start over completely and wow. with that start over came all these innovations that they started to create with agricultural production of rice in america um which now is absolutely one of the most um lauded upon you know uh, production processes in in the world we have a lot okay. of japan there's a lot of japanese who are buying from the kota family because japanese out consume their own rice production so they have to outsource it in many ways but um you will find that most of that comes from california and most of that comes from the kota family interesting okay. um so for them 
Um, you know, their story is so incredible. That's the kind of importance to um, Asian American culture um, that we want to see you know, continue on. We want, we, we need to see and understand the dynamics of how important that is to American culture and their contributions to that. And so I think, um, you know, supporting them is, you know, their diligence to what they do is ultimately why that's the right rice for us. Okay. You know, and, and they have, you know, they produce very different kinds, um, you know, probably a dozen different kinds. Okay. So cool. for us, you know, that's the one for us. We just haven't found the one in South Louisiana yet. Um, but not to say it's not out there. And maybe we work or with maybe LSU Act Department. Maybe, maybe it's coming. Maybe LSU it's Ag coming. Department. Maybe it's right. coming. Right. Well, <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Um, Sean, let's, let me ask you this question. Let's talk a little bit about water because we were talking about uh, that during the break. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about how, uh, how many breweries, beer breweries, have opened up here where I've gone to them when they first opened. And all the beers taste exactly the same because they're not handling their water right. Yeah. Everything, all the beers just taste like alkaline or like chalk. Then maybe you get a grip on your water program, but water, like we're talking about how important rice is, uh, we're talking, let's talk about water. And then I'm going to ask you from there too, to talk a little bit about what Koji is. And then we'll talk about, let's talk about rice for sake production also with polishing yeah. and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, um, where am I? Find your words, John. Let's, let's start with water. <laughs> let's start with water. I just asked um, three questions in a row so I can just sit here and watch. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just like with any anything that you're making, the ingredients are going to be really important. You know, if you're whether it's food, whether it's drink, whether you're creating art or something, whatever you're putting into it is what's going what you're going to get out. So, um, the water source is really important because that is the base. It's a liquid, like sake is a liquid, so the water is going to be extremely important. Um, and I think that um, in Japan there are a lot of places that have really pristine water sources. I know, especially in in northern Japan, where it's really cold. And the and like I, we, Jackie and I did an event together really recently, and one of the sakes that we used it like filters through this natural spring and it takes 50 years for the water to drip from its source into where they collect it from so it's like really good clean water and um depending on where you are in japan um you're gonna get different expressions like a lot of the northern sakes are a lot cleaner lighter and it's just because it's cold there and their water sources are so extremely pure you know so all of the things that you put in are gonna are gonna make a big difference. What type of rice you use, what what the water is. Um, there's usually a, a specific koji that's used, but um, there are people that experiment with other types of koji. So, yeah, it's you're gonna get out of it what you put into it. Okay, cool. So we've we've established you know the importance of using the right rice, having the right water quality or characteristics of the water being critical to this. Tell people what koji is because that plays a huge role in sake. Yeah. Koji is a mold. Um, it is um, not, I guess, not a mold in the sense of what people sp- usually think of as mold, which is a bad thing. But um, koji is a mold that inoculates rice, many other things too. But it um, in sake pr- production specifically, they use yellow koji um, mostly. There are people that experiment with other um, black koji or white mm-hmm. koji, um, but those are more so used in. Um, like dis- distillation um, and food processes, uh, but there is room for it to be used uh, in sake production. But it's the mold that basically breaks down the sugars, starts the process of breaking down the complex carbohydrates in rice to make fermentable sugars, make 
So kind of sugar, like so playing, that, yeah. playing the role of, of yeast. Ultimately, yeah. it's the building block of all Japanese fermentation. Yeah, yeah. So it's, right. it's, it's, soy. it's like sake, mm-hmm. it's soy, soy sauce, sauce, it's yeah. miso. Yeah. Yeah. You can't make any of these things without Cut, it. Right. So it is the main inoculant, like she's saying, to jumpstart all those fermentation processes. Yeah. And so many things that we're used to having. Like, you know, the and it's live and it's it's good for you. It's it's probiotic, you know, it's it's in a lot of the stuff that we get I think is kind of pasteurized a lot of time yeah. too and it kinda of kills a lot of that body okay. that's alive and in, in, in the the good the nature of, of what that provides like in your microbiome besides just being this inoculant. Um, it really is so important to so many processes of fermentation and so many aspects outside of sake. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you. Because I, I think people are becoming more familiar with the term, but I think people don't know what it is and the role that it plays and the importance across, like you said, every every time you have soy sauce, you're experiencing koji. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about, Sean, uh, talk about polishing rice and then how that plays into the different styles of sake, if you would. Yeah. So, um, I mean, right now we're drinking... Pro, the, by, by law like the highest grade of sake which doesn't gosh I could go down a rabbit hole with this but this is a daigin, <laughs> this is a daiginjo um, so rice has to be polished in, t- in regular table rice the fats and proteins and everything are kind of evenly distributed throughout the rice grain in sake rice the starches the sugars are usually very concentrated um, and that just makes for um, an instance where you can Gosh. So like more, yeah, more, yeah, yeah. more inside, the, like more inside the grain. More inside, yeah. So, so trying to expose the starch, at the, the starch yeah. at the center. Yep. So the vast majority of sake that's produced in Japan is table is table sake, and that's what most people consume, which doesn't have any regulations as far as how much the rice needs to be polished. So this whole system of grading sake is 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 fairly new. Um, you couldn't really make um, these higher grade sakes. I think the the vertical rice polishing machine was invented in like the 30s. So before that, these kinds of expressions of like highly polished sakes didn't, they didn't exist. Um, but polishing the rice basically will give it a cleaner, lighter um, taste. Um, it's called ginjoka specifically, and it's like the fruity floral aromas and flavors that you taste in, in different grades of sake. Um, I definitely want to touch on the misconception that it's better than other sake because it's not. It is a matter of preference. I'm a person that prefers Junmai, which does not have to be polished that much at all. They usually have richer, bolder flavors. I just find them more interesting and more complex, but there are people that are just like, it's, it's Ginjo or Dai Ginjo or Dai. Like there's nothing else. <laughs> like it, it's like this style, but um, yeah, all of, it, all of it's good. All of it can be yeah. good. Right, <laughs> all of right. it can be good yeah okay and that, that's a great way to put it because i think there's a wide variety out there we can maybe think about it in terms of say like wine where yeah. there's just because it's a particular style doesn't mean a that it's good or b that it's bad yeah and then there's also you know like we're talking about different so you could have a good chardonnay or a bad chardonnay right. yeah you can dry, have a good sweet exactly you know. so you could have a, a good a dry jinmai ginja or a bad jinmai ginja or a good one and anyway, so let's do this since because we got a little phone ringing here somewhere in the background. Uh, <laughs> and let's take a little break because this is actually a good time to pause. And we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about food pairing and some other stuff. Yeah. Come on back. All 
right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Brian Diaz here with you. Thanks for joining me on the NOLA Drink, drink Show, friend. Easy for me to say. I've been drinking sake. It's starting to go down. In, uh, <laughs> here in the afternoon at Suke Bon, we're here uptown New Orleans on Oak Street. Uh, we're going to let you know all about how you can come check this wonderful place out uh, here at the end of this segment. Uh, but, Sean, real quick, tell us about the, the uh, expression we were just tasting before we took a break. And then why don't we just go ahead and talk about the expression that we're tasting now, too. Yeah. Um, so before break, we were drinking the uh, Iki Naona Lady Luck. Um, it is a Daiginjo sake, which means that the rice is polished to at least 50%. Um, it's made in limited amounts for the Association of Lady Sake Retailers. So it's a really special situation. Um, it's really good. <laughs> it, was, it was really good. It's really tasty. Um, and then what we have right now is a tokubetsu junmai, which tokubetsu means special in, in Japanese. Um, junmai means pure rice, so there's no added alcohol to this, um, to this sake, um, which we could... I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I almost <laughs> did. But this, this sake in we'll particular... We'll do a part two to this show yeah. down the road. We'll yeah. go down more rabbit holes. So this one is called Deep Faith. Um, it's made by a husband and wife team that have deep faith in each other. Um, it is a tokubetsu. What makes it special is that it's made with um, Yamada Nishiki rice, but also a rice called Gohyaku Mangoku, which um, is not a... I don't want to say it's not a typical sake rice, but um, Yamada Nishiki is known as the king of sake rices. It's like what everyone uses. Um, so when you use a different rice varietal, and they're also using yeast number 14, which yeast number 9 is the like typical um, yeast that's, that is used in, in most sake. So um, it's special because it's using a special kind of rice, and it's also using a different yeast than most sakes are brewed from. Okay. And I will say that both of these that we were just drinking are both from the Ichikawa Prefecture, which is known for its ancient, ancient history and fermentation and preservation in general. This, this, uh, the Noto Peninsula, specifically where we're, this, this sake, the Hakuto we're drinking, is, uh, is where salt was first introduced to Japan. Okay. Um, so super, super ancient, going back like two, over 2,000 years. Um, and, and also, you know, just with the history of fermentation, the sake came with it very naturally. Um, but also a very high mountainous region that meets the ocean. So you have this like beautiful, like pristine water source. And it's also a place where um, the first iterations of nigiri were formed. So you had this koji, you had salt, and you had... Uh, you had fish, and so they would pr they would pack these into layers on top of each other, on top of uh, and, you know packed into like a crock of sorts. Um, so within that came like the notion we would get a vinegared rice on the fish, and so like that made its way to Tokyo over the years, kind of thing. But that was like one of the first places um, you ever found a first iteration of uh, preserved fish and rice, which became okay. nigiri eventually. So Ishikawa is like a really important place when it comes to really uh, ancient Japanese fermentation. This is a, thank you. Uh, this is a really lovely expression. And I, I think what, um, for those who don't know, you know, we're kind of uh, painting this picture here for you that there is a large world of sake out there. There's a large world of styles, expressions, the different water, the different rice, different uh, koji, different yeast that are used in production. And so we have this big palette, if you will, of, of sakes out there. Let's talk a little bit about uh, food pairing because you know that plays a central role to all of this, and it's not like anything like wine or something like that. It's not one size fits all. So, like, and, and maybe like Jackie, how do you? I'll ask you both the same question. Uh, how do you approach it here at the restaurant? Um, 
because obviously you're you're being smart about your sake selections and you're bringing in. So like, how does it? How does what you bring in work with what you do? I mean, I think that we're ultimately that a place that has a very kind of fresh and clean vibe to to everything that we do. This is not a, a restaurant that's going to weigh you down once you leave. You know, the fish. Uh, speaks for itself, the rice speaks for itself. We want these things to speak for themselves, ultimately. Um, and they all have their own voice that kind of comes together, you know, in, in the dining experience. And I think that kind of comes to fruition with, you know, s- certainly many varieties of sake pair with a lot of the same types of fish. Um, so ultimately it comes, I think, to like the personal preferences. Um, I like a Jumai Daigenjo. That's probably one of my favorites. Um, I like a Tokobetsu. Um, you know, fattier fish, you know, maybe, maybe you want something, um, a little uh, crisper, a little cleaner, um, lighter fish. Maybe you want something a little heavier on the, on the sake and a little more body. Um, you know, I'm still, I'm still figuring that out, I think too, because I think that, you know, we've between, you know, Sean and I both in the last like, you know, year of knowing each other, I've really tried to navigate this not just the pairing aspect but um the availability aspect um that's the thing you know and that's the thing uh ultimately because we're all kind of used to having the same type of stuff so you know we're we're constantly tasting new sakes and 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 realizing what pairs well with other things um so we're still like constantly in a in a notion of navigating that pairing process i think let me ask you this question real quick um are, are we getting more on the market because you know back several years ago it was hard to find really much of any variety of sake being brought into the state and i believe we are okay. I, yeah. I mean would you would you agree with that i think that i would say yeah we're, we're trying to get better sake you know i think that's mm-hmm. part of my travels is, is like how can we how can we access what they have how can we get it to louisiana yeah. you know and it's like this uh it's such a beautiful thing that they're doing and we've been doing it for like you know i say millennia for centuries uh but you know oftentimes they consume the best of what they have and so what oftentimes what gets don't get it doesn't come you know sent out is not you know the 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 best of the best but it's still great Mm -hmm. yeah um so i think for us like our challenge is to like figure out a way we can start getting this 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 higher end stuff imported and allocating even if it's small batch um, to us so that, you know, we can start to, like, change people's concepts and mindsets of what sake is and what great sake is versus what shit sake is, right. you know? Right. And I think there's a lot of shit sake out there, too, that is only what people have had experience with. Mm-hmm. So for us, I think, you know, that's kind of the goal of, you know, you gotta fight ultimately the good fight to is finding, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> we just recently went to New York to do yeah, this that's event. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. And, uh-huh. uh, there's so much it, sake. Take it to the house. The, 576 sakes <laughs> that you could taste. It was called the joy of sake. It was crazy. But like, just as Jackie was speaking, I was thinking about all the things that are available in the world that we just don't have access right. to here. And even outside of Japanese sake, there are people experimenting all over the place. Like while we were in New York, I had a sake aged in cognac barrels out of Paris. Oh, wow. And it was amazing. It wow. was so good. And like, it's like in uh, just in speaking about like the freshness and this um, how we don't always get that and that that sake is called nama and it's like difficult to transport that it's unpasteurized mm-hmm. right. so it's like uh, okay. getting it yeah. from Japan here and it's still being a safe and okay product a good product to consume not necessarily always safe but making sure it doesn't go bad on the way you know right. um, is difficult so. Um, we're getting there. We just actually at that event I met one of the presidents of 
the sake, a sake that we used at an event that we held here at Sukibun. He had no idea that his because most sake is consumed locally, like the sake breweries there and the people that live in that prefecture or in that town or whatever, they're drinking that sake. So I was like, oh, my gosh, you're the president of Solomare. I just used your sake at my event. He's like, where are you out of? And I was like, New Orleans. And he said, Solomare is in New Orleans. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And it was just like this moment of, oh, wow. wow. Like, and it's like, yeah, like it, it's all the way over here. So. Being able to get it, um, I think sake is available in more places here than people know. Um, it's just not a big variety. Like you can go into any Rouse's, any Winn-Dixie, all of the corner stores, Hanks, and even uh, in the in the quarter, what is that? Um, the the, the, the yeah, all, yeah. Of, all of these places, yeah. they, they have sake. They might only have one bottle, right? but they've got, like they're, they're in a lot of these spaces. So I do think that it's growing. I do think that there's, um, uh, a growing interest in it worldwide, um, and I think that is trickling into Louisiana because we drink here. So, yes. <laughs> so and, and we like it's a new curiosity. Right? It's a new curiosity. Yeah. Like I think uh, Hideyoshi is like this amazing brewery that I visited in uh, the Akita Prefecture in the very northern part of Japan this past winter, and I was so impressed by that process and the quality. And for the first time. In their family's history, uh, a woman was taking over as the as the main as sake brewer, the head of the family, um, and that had never happened. And this has been the same family for 375 years. Wow! And they're on a tiny little river um, near a town called Kakunudote, and you can only find their sake through Total Wine. It's crazy. Oh, that's like, okay. so I asked the, you know, the, the, the matriarch of the family gave me the tour and I was like, well, how can we get this? And she was like, Total Wine. And I was like, no. Yeah, that's so <laughs> what? <laughs> like, so it just, it goes to show like, you know, some of this amazing stuff does exist. And it's just like knowing where to find it. And, and it's kind of like, you know, our diligence to like dig around and find that kind of stuff. You know, and it kind of gets back to what we were talking about at the beginning when I was asking the question, you know, sort of how, like in my instance here, like bartenders were the vector for me for shochu and to a certain degree sake here in town. And it, it's it's kind of like we, we need the demand. We need people to understand the variety that's out there. Oh, it's coming. And, and then, yeah, you guys, <laughs> and, I coming. mean, that's what's so important, right? I mean, if we had a huge Japanese culture here, that would Correct. be probably a different story. And we have this amazing Southeast Asian culture here right. um, that is so prolific and so like tangible. Um, and we just don't, we don't really feel that within the Japanese culture, which is like why, you know, we're certainly not born of Japanese descent, but, you know, we can be ambassadors of this and do it the right way, begin the love of passion we have for it. And sure. I think that's, respect you know, the doing your, your, your diligence and your respect and your earnest to like the processes and, and, and being part of that is just so important. And I think like for us, like we just ate at Liberta Dan in New York and we were like, you know what, we're going to only have sake with this whole pairing. They tried to, you know, they want you to have the wine pairing with the you know, a 15 course tasting uh, <laughs> at a three Michelin star restaurant. And we were like, you know what? We're just gonna pair sake with it. They had two sakes in the entire menu. Oh, yeah. wow. But they had a book of wine, like a, a book literal of book of wine. Right, right, like right, three right. inches thick. And I and go, can I see the sake sakes. list? And he goes, yeah, we have two. Like there's no, he's like, there's no list. And he just yeah, like, yeah, the yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we did it. And, yeah. then that, and then their head sommelier ended up coming to the, the sake event with us yeah, the next night. Yeah, because he saw we were so into sake so, and he was like, wait, what are y'all doing? And he came to that giant sake event with us the next day. And then we had dinner with him that night. And now like that guy's trying to put 
put more sake in the Laburnum awesome. menu. Yeah. So that's awesome. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. I think you see in, you know, as I, I kind of, how I track this is looking at, at lists at restaurants, right? Who's got what? I see more variety. I see more going on. And then tracking places like Total Wine or even more specifically like Hong Kong Market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hong Kong's Metairie. got a great selection. They do. Yeah, and they, they, they really do. Have the and, I mean, and that shows you, if anything, mm-hmm. you know, what's available, meaning what's distributed in the state has grown. I mean, right. just by observation of seeing what's there. So really cool. Well, you know, we'll do this again, y'all, because uh, we got to kind of close things out here. Uh, we only really scratched the surface. We were talking about that yeah. during the break. We didn't even have the conversation on filtration and not filtration. There is no such thing as Japanese sake that is unfiltered. It does not exist. Okay. You heard it here first. There you go. <laughs> there you go. We have dispelled the myth. Yeah. And we'll, we'll do a part two of this, because so, I want to, next time we'll talk a little bit more about some of the specific aspects of the different expressions and some more stuff. But uh, in the meantime, let's do this. Jackie, tell people uh, where they can find you at Sukeban and, uh, and your knife shop, right? Yeah. Up the street, down so, the street. Which way is the knife shop? Uh, down. Down. Okay. <laughs> over there? Uh, over there. Towards the river. Yonder. Uh, yeah. Um, so Sukeban, you can find it at 8126 Oak Street. We're in the first block of Oak Street, uh, right across from Blue Cypress Books, um, right near the corner of Carrollton. Um, my knife shop is Cotillier. We've been on Oak Street for eight years. We're at 8600 Oak Street. Uh, we import fine hand-forged Japanese cutlery for home cooks and professionals. Um, Sean and I do usually a one-month event um, Every it's been every month in the last mm-hmm. couple months. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Red Light Nights, and uh, it's where we do um, an omakase style uh, menu here with the team at Sukiban, and uh, Sean pairs it beautifully with awesome. her sake selections. And so that we can uh, website follow and us media? on yeah. Instagram. We're at Bar Sukiban and Sean. Yep, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Rice Girl Rich. Um, <laughs> just spelled out just like that. Uh, I'm also a bartender over at Jewel of the South in the quarter. Um, you can catch me hanging out at Sukiban sometimes, hosting. <laughs> um, where else am I? I'm going to be teaching classes really soon, so I'm excited about that. Oh, cool. Jackie, Sean, thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you, you so much for having us. Absolutely. Anytime, anytime. Awesome. Friends, a brief musical interlude, and I'll be back to close things out. All right, everybody. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jackie and Sean. I sure did. We spent a lot of time uh, chatting between segments as we often do. And after we were done taping, we had a great conversation because we were just sort of talking about the the world of sake and all kinds of other really cool stuff. I can't wait to get in and eat at Sukeban. Other than the snacks that we had during the show, haven't had a chance to eat there yet. But I would encourage you, we mentioned this at the end of the last segment, but go pay them a visit. It's a really cool spot. It's uh, Uptown 8126 Oak Street. And also, as we talked about, uh, frequently Sean does uh, programming there like once a month or so, does some sake pop-ups. They do some really cool pairings. Um, as you gathered probably from what we talked about on the show, the expressions that Sean brought for us to taste were outstanding. And it's so exciting. We talk about this, of course, or did talk about this during the interview, that we are seeing more expressions, more brands, more sake basically on the market here in the New Orleans area. And I think in a lot of other places in the country, and that's just really exciting. Uh, I mentioned I grew up in California, grew up in the Bay area. So I was around sake for a good chunk of my life, uh, but never really knew a ton about it. Usually was drinking the warm stuff, right? Like a lot of people do usually the cheap stuff. It, there is such a 
huge world of sake out there as we touched on and as i mentioned at the top of the show we'll definitely be having those two back on so we can take a deeper dive into the subject it's just one of my favorite it's one of my favorite beverages and just the cultural connection that sake shares with the food and with the japanese culture to me is just so fantastic and just so important so again go check out suke bon 8126 oak street Really, really great place, uh, and it is barsukebon.com once again. Uh, you can catch Sean on Instagram. We gave her handle there. It's also All this will be in our show notes and linked up, friends. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the show that we're going to be chatting about Old Fashioned Week, and that will be out next week because Old Fashioned Week is the week after. A lot of week going on. Uh, Old Fashioned Week is October 13th through the 22nd. It is put on or sponsored by Elijah Craig, which is part of the Heaven Hill family. And uh, for two years running, their charitable partner, those who basically the nonprofit that receives the proceeds from this, uh, is the Southern Smoke Foundation. And it is a super great foundation. They support the hospitality industry. I mentioned this at the top of the show in a couple meaningful ways. We're going to talk a lot about what their programs are. We're going to let you know how Old Fashioned Week works. I'll give you a little hint. Old Fashioned Week, you basically can just go to your neighborhood bar in so many places they are participating. And by the way, if you are a bar owner or beverage director or bartender, you want to get involved, just go to oldfashionedweek.com. It's not too late. You can still sign up your restaurant. And basically how it works is, you know, people order an Old Fashioned and a dollar from every Old Fashioned goes to the Southern Smoke Foundation. Great cause and not hard for a bar to get involved, right? And if you're a patron, I think you can get where I'm going with this. If you are a patron, real easy. Just show up to one of the participating bars and order an old-fashioned, again, between October 13th and 22nd, and a buck from that will go to the Southern Smoke Foundation. But we're going to tell you all about that next week. But I just wanted to give you that little tip. Be on the lookout for it because it's coming soon. And again, if you are a bar or whatever and you want to get involved, uh, go to oldfashionedweek.com. Not too late to sign yourselves up. Oh, and I did mention this at the top of the show, but our guest next week will be Lynn House, who is the spirit specialist and portfolio mixologist, just a fine bartender, fine human being. Uh, love Lynn. Lynn was on last year talking about Old Fashioned Week with us uh, there with the Heaven Hill brand, Elijah Craig, so on and so forth. And then Caroline Neighbors, and Caroline is the director of marketing and development for the Southern Smoke Foundation. But Caroline, as we talked about also at the top of the show, is a good friend of the show and a good friend of mine. Uh, and uh, so we're going to catch up with Caroline too, which is always really exciting. So that's what we got on tap coming up for you. We'll have some more stuff coming down the pike as well. I'll share that with you as it develops. But hey, remember to be kind to one another. Use your turn signal. Put your shopping cart up when you're supposed to. Hit reply all. And until next time, friends, cheers, y'all. <laughs>